everybody, and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. That'll get you right straight to us. That's right, and you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. We certainly would. I always like hearing from folks out of town. Just kind of lets me know who's out there listening. That's it. Get a <laughs> kind of different perspective of what's going on around the country. That's right. And you get tons of email from all around the country and really all around the world. So right. I know there's lots and lots of people who are out there. I guess it's a little bit inconvenient. Most of them listen on the podcast. So by the time they're listening to our show, it's already gone. Exactly. <laughs> But you can go to, like, iHeartRadio, one of those, and you can find us there. It's right. It's actually a live feed. You can go to the website and click on the little icon on the podcast page and a little stopwatch. If you click on that, it'll bring up a live feed. That's great. Be able to listen to us from anywhere in the world. Well, at least anywhere in the United States. I'm not sure if iHeart actually broadcasts outside the United States. Okay. Something to do with the copyrights, but All right. that's above my pay grade. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, give me a call. It's 291-6901. We'd certainly love to hear from you. Try to get you some advice, point you in the right direction. And if you happen not to make it on live today on the show or think of something maybe after we go off the air or even next week at midnight. That's right. You can always send Lewis an email and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Go to our webpage, and there is a contact bar on the top of each and every page. Just click on there, fill out the form, and send it in. That's right. Get Couldn't be any easier. That's what I'll get asked back to you within 24 hours, and most time a whole lot quicker than that. This week we were actually out of pocket. We went on a little cruise uh, for Easter. Uh-huh. So it may have taken me a bit longer. You probably were looking 12 hours to get a response. But most time when I'm hanging around the house or at the office, it's right. going to be within three or four hours I'll get announced back to you. So. That sounds great. There you go. Let's see if we can catch some of our phone calls here. we got Steve online. Good morning, Steve. Hey, I got a 06 Silverado. Okay. And I changed my oil in the middle of March, like I always do. I change it myself, mobile one. And I'll go to the dealer to get the filter, okay. like you always tell me to do. Mm-hmm. And right now, the engine oil life thing came on 99%. Okay. And every time I reset it, it keeps coming back on after a while. And, uh, you know, that's been like four weeks ago. Yeah, you reset it? When you yeah. change the oil? Yeah, and then it keeps coming back on. I've reset it three times. And it, then. Well, now, 99% means 99% is remaining. Oh. It doesn't mean 99% used. It means 99% remaining. It goes down to zero when it's I time to change. I wonder why it keeps coming on. <laughs> the light is coming on. Have to be a malfunction in the system. Okay, well, I just I had a question, too. about I, went, I always go to the dealership to get the filters. Yes, sir. And I was using... A PF46E, I think, and uh, this guy gave me a PF457G, and he told me that's what they use on all of them over there. Mm. But no. it was a little bit smaller filter. It's a, it is a AC Delco filter, smaller filter. Yeah, PF46 is is the filter for that one, and then later on it goes to a PF48 on later model trucks. All right, 08 and up. Yeah, but no, a 457G a is a totally different filter. That's what I, mean, I thought. It may physically fit, but I don't know what the specifications are on them. So you got to watch because a lot of those filters will physically fit, but like the blow-off in it. Well, they uh, smaller, too. Yeah, the bypass may be different, or there's all kinds of specifications on all filters. I'd have to have the right filter for the car. I know Ford has a new filter called a FL500S mm-hmm. that goes in their newer V8 engines, and some people will put, like, the old A20S on it. It will physically fit, but it is a different filter. Yeah. They've engineered a filter for the vehicle. But, no, I would want the right filter on Steve, you paying pretty much top dollar going to the dealer, so 
you know, he's not giving you a discount for using a no, different filter. That, well, he told me, now this was a younger fella, I don't mm-hmm. know if he knows what he's talking about, but I'm assuming he does. He said that's what they put on when they change oil at well, the dealership. I don't doubt what they do at the dealership. Right. I've seen them do all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> don't make it right. I've seen them no, put 20W50 motor oil in a car to call for 5W30, but you know that's just a bunch of guys who decide among themselves what they can do. That's not General Motors. Right. No, no, you need PF46 on and. You could probably go to Delco's website and get some specifications, see what the difference in the filters are, but it may physically screw on there, but it is not a direct replacement. It's not considered a, a you know, swap or a, a interchange. All right, now, if I want to change it, can I just change the filter? Absolutely, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Then stop the remaining yeah, oil level you'll off. You'll lose maybe a half a pint yeah, of Yeah, you're not going to lose much. Not much, but, yeah, I'd just go ahead and put the right filter on top of it off. So it's the 46 that I need. Yeah, PF46. Yes, mm-hmm. All right, well, All right. I appreciate it. All right, All right Steve. Sir. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would absolutely love to have you. And going back to our phone lines, we got Harry online. Good morning, Harry. Good morning. Good morning. I've got a twenty ten Ford Escape, and I wanted to know what you consider to be the most healthy. I realize it's probably kind of a little variable. Most healthy transmission fluid interval change. I last changed eighteen thousand miles ago, and I'm fixing to take a pretty extensive tour through the eastern United States. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. What would you consider to be a good healthy? I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Changing it sooner than normal was a lot better than waiting later. It is. Than normal. Harry, what I would do if, if I owned the vehicle, I would be changing about every 30,000 miles. 30K. Yes, sir. They've had some trouble with those transmissions. They do go out a fair amount. And when you change the fluid and you drop the pan, you get about half the fluid out. So what you don't want to do is let it be completely depleted before you change. And if you've got fluid that's, say, 50% depleted and you change 50% of that, then you come back and change 50% again, you're getting a real, real thorough service. Whereas if you let it completely deplete, I know folks who will push them 100,000 miles, well, your fluid's about 100% gone at that point, and you can only get about 50% out. The only way to get 100% out is to take transmission apart. So by doing it a little bit sooner, around 30K, and it's not that expensive a unit to service, but you're doing yourself a big favor. I mean, that's really pennies on the dollar as far as the cost of a service compared sure. to the cost of a replacement transmission. So 18K, uh, it's on 18,000 right now, so I'm good for about another 10 or 12. Yeah, safely. I'd say 30 is a good safe number. All right. Appreciate you guys. All right, Harry. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we would absolutely love to have you. And you know with that transmission service, you want to do a proper service on that unit. That's right. That means drop the pan, change the filter, put the correct fluid back in it, the correct amount of fluid back in it. Retarget the valve body bolts on the ones we are that's applicable. Right. You Uh, want to stay away from the flush. That is correct. Because you're not doing anything but wasting money because well, you're not getting the full amount. You're not hardly getting, what, like 10% of the fluid out. You're getting, yeah, some, but you're not, not getting what you need to. They will tell you that that does 100% of the fluid or something. That's ridiculous. And that just that kind of a statement comes from someone who has never seen the inside of an automatic transmission. Because what's happening with a transmission is you have a pump which produces pressure. And it produces far more pressure than the transmission can use. Correct. So the majority of the fluid is simply being pumped into a loop. It's pumping out of the pump, and it's going to a regulator, and it's dumping right back in the pan. So it's pumping in a loop. That's where most of it's going. The remainder of it, some of it's going out the cooler lines. Some's going to the torque converter. Some's going to the clutches. Some's going all these various places. Well, with a flush, what they do is they interrupt the cooler lines. 
they let some fluid run out. They put some fresh fluid back in, which is also dumping back into the dirty fluid and re-diluting. Right. So you're taking maybe one line out of four or five, and you're filtering that one line, dumping it back into the – so a lot of the clean fluid is actually just circulating back through. It's getting sucked right back out again, and you're not getting close to 50% of the fluid. You actually get more fluid out by dropping the pan. Sure. And, I mean, if you're just obsessed with trying to get more fluid out, then just drop the pan, change the filter – Go ahead and service it, run it 10 miles, and drop the pan and do it again. Right. Now you're probably close to 80 or 90% of the fluid out. The old Ford units, yeah, uh, 4R70s, actually before, before 2002. 02, correct. Had a drain plug on a torque converter. Right. And you could get about 90% of that. Right. You could get 12 quarts out of that unit. Right. But, whereas mostly you'll get four or five out of yeah, six one on without. Some, depending on what kind of transmission it is. But right. A flush is not getting anywhere close to the no. amount you get with a proper service, and you're not addressing the filter, which is the main issue. Not only that, but you're stirring up whatever debris is in the pan, which is further restricting the filter. Exactly. So a flush is just absolutely no good at all. It's just a way for someone to make some money using low-skilled techs because they don't have people who are going to go in and do a proper service. Correct. They hook a little machine up, let it run 15, 20 minutes, walk off, do something else, come back, and your bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just a, a little word to the wise there. There you go. Let's go back to the lines with Gene. Good morning, Gene. Hey, how you doing, Dave? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I have a question for you. Okay, I have a transmission. Has a, I have 116,000 miles. Okay. I changed at 60,000 miles. Okay. Mm-hmm. So y'all told me last week as long as I change it for 50,000 more, I'd be okay. So I need to change it now. Yeah, I'd I change it right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I smelled the dipstick, okay, mm-hmm. and it smelled burnt. Well, is that okay? Yeah, no, that's not okay. Gene, if the fluid is black and it smells burnt, then you've already got damage. Now, that's the key factor. It, yeah. Looks black and it smells burnt. Right. Because some fluid will turn black or real, real dark, dark. Yes. And it looks black. But the smell is what gets yeah. you. If it smells burned, you've already got damage. So right. it's just too little, too late. I mean, a service is not going to hurt it any, but it's probably not going to help. It's certainly not going to undo the damage that's occurred. Okay. I pulled trailers wide because I cut grass. Mm-hmm. So what is your suggestion? Yeah, is this 2500 bucks at least to get it fixed, correct? Probably is, yes, sir. Depending on what, well, what kind of car it is. Will they go out? Oh, yeah, it's going to go out. Oh, yeah, it'll yeah, quit. If it's, it'll quit if it's truly burnt, it is going to go out. Okay. And more than likely, it's going to go out when you got a full load of oh, trailer yeah. and you're trying to cut grass and your before very it rains. Best customer you know? is waiting on you to get yeah. there. And <laughs> so, what I would do is number one, bring it to someone, have them run a pressure test and verify that there is a problem. And you can drop the pan and also verify that. The pan's full of metal. I mean, it's just a whole lot better for you to decide when you want to do this than to have it decide for you. Because it's going to decide at the absolute worst possible time. You can book that. Okay. You know, when your very best customer is waiting on you, he's got a function and he's got to have his grass cut and you got to be there and now all of a sudden your truck's gone. So it's way better for you. You know, I'd like to have seen you do it back during the winter or during your, your slow time before the grass starts growing too much. But I would at least bring it to someone, have them drop the pan, run a pressure test, confirm that you are having a transmission problem. And if you are... It's going to be less expensive to address it before it totally fails, and it's going to be a whole lot more convenient for you. Right, because right now it might be rebuildable. If you let it go till it closes, then you may be into a rebuilt unit then. Yeah, a whole other replacement unit. I can kind of feel the transmission feeling different, not feel something's going on. The smell is not extremely strong. Now, I have to really smell it really well. Yeah, I take it to somebody who knows what to do and let them run a pressure test and drop the pan. They can tell you for sure. That Drop the pan, cut the filter open, and look inside. Mm -hmm. You know, if you got pieces inside the filter, then you know you ain't far. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of time. Hey, guys, thank you all very much. All right, Gene. All right, sir. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. We sure love to have you. And we're going back to our phone lines with Sharon. Good morning, Sharon. 
Good morning. Good morning. I have a 2010 Altima, uh-huh. and I was just wondering about when the transmission fluid should be changed on that. Sharon, I like to do it around 50,000 miles. I think Nissan says you can go as much as 100, but that's kind of a blue sky, pushing it as far as it'll go type of thing. So like we talked about earlier, if you service it before the fluid is 100% depleted, then you're much, much better off than waiting to the last minute. It's kind of like waiting until you're real, real sick to start trying to take care of yourself. You're better mm-hmm. off if you start caring for yourself before you get sick. And okay. it's a situation like that. I generally recommend a service where you're not towing anything, just normal driving. Around 50,000 miles is a good number. If you already got 60, it's not the end of the world, but just get it done as soon as possible. And okay. again, like we talked about a little bit earlier, a lot of places, including some dealerships, will try to sell you a flush. If they use the word flush, that's not what you want. You want a proper service. Well, I always bring my vehicles to you guys. Oh, so, okay. Then you ain't got to worry um, about gonna, it. <laughs> I'm going to bring it in. Well, I just got it, actually, and mm-hmm. I asked about that, and they they weren't sure if they had it changed or not. But Well, and, and you see, the Nissan products are having some trouble with the valve bodies wearing out, which is a real expensive repair. Mm-hmm. And so a service will buy you some time on it. It may even prevent a problem. Okay. Again, it's just a whole lot less expensive to address it before you have a problem. It's kind of like it's better yeah. to quit smoking and get in shape before you have a heart attack than it is after. <laughs> yeah. Well, it has right at 100 on it. So mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I would uh, definitely right. be pushing that. Yeah. You're pushing like that. Monday. Okay. <laughs> Give us a call. All right. Thank you. All right, Sharon. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. We're going back to the phone. Brandon. Good morning, Brandon. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Doing great. Good time. morning. I have a quick question. Just turn on to your show. Uh-huh. You're talking about transmission. That's the problem I have. Okay. Uh-huh. I have a 2007 Dodge Grand Caravan. Okay. And what's going on with it? Well, when it first started, it was jerking on me when it go to switch gears. Mm-hmm. After a while, it worked itself out. Once I'm riding, and it rides smooth. Okay. I tell you, Brandon, if you can hold on, I'm up against a break, but I'll be right back with you. Okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true. Like free beer, tomorrow, or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true, the low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks, and more. Well, AGCO says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to AGCO and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Welcome back. You just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we were talking to Brandon. Brandon, you got a caravan, and you said in the morning, first thing, it kind of acts funny, and then it gets better yeah. as you drive? Yes, sir. It'll start jerking on me. Yeah, I'll tell you the, the simplest thing, Brandon, if it is a transmission problem, because let me, let me back up a little bit. It could be some kind of an engine running problem that feels like a transmission problem. It's pretty funny like that, but if it is a transmission problem, the cheapest thing and the most common thing would be that it's low on fluid. 
And I know you probably checked it, but it's very difficult to get a proper reading. If you go on my website and just type in, like, check transmission fluid or something, there's an article in there that shows you how to properly check the fluid. If it's a little bit low on fluid, what it'll do is it'll suck a little bit of air, and it'll start jerking and carrying on. Now, when the fluid gets hot, it expands. So it'll rise up enough and cover up the filter, and it'll quit doing it. Okay. Almost everything else on a transmission gets worse when it gets hot because the fluid thins out and all that. So most real problems with a transmission, when they get hot, they get worse. So the okay. fact that yours does it when it's cold is a good sign. Now, again, there are some engine running problems that will make the transmission act real funny because the trans is trying to cover up the engine problem. It'll hold it in gear longer, and it may shift funny, and it may jump up and down in gears trying to maximize the engine if it's running properly. So you might just try that and see. One way you could also tell is if you drop it down like into manual low gear first thing in the morning and take off and see if it still does it. Because if it still does it, then it's not going to be in transmission because you've locked out all the shifting of the transmission at that point. But what it's doing now is not even wanting to get out of first. Not wanting to shift out of first? It's not wanting to shift out. What I did, I dropped the pan Mm -hmm. and I changed the filter on it. Okay. I looked at the magnet in the pan to see if it was in the metal shaving, but it wasn't the metal shaving. Okay. It was was like some real gray. It was a real gray color. Okay. Around around the magnet. magnet. Was it doing all this before you serviced it, Brandon? Yes, sir. Okay, it didn't start after you serviced it. Well, it, it wasn't going first, and that's when I dropped the pan and changed the filter, which I should have done before, Tom. But now, you sure it's first and not second? It's not stuck in second gear, is it? No, it was in first. Okay, because it's kind of hard to tell. Right. And a well, Chrysler, you might be right. You might be right. Cause, see, uh, get in it, it, well, you what know, you can do. Oh, it won't kick into no gear. Yeah, it won't yeah. shift. Okay, well, see, that could be an electrical problem, Brandon, because what a Dodge transmission will do, if it's got an electrical issue, something that it can't see, it's going to lock in second gear. Okay, like a sensor or something? Well, it could well, be a sensor. It could be a ground wire. It could be battery voltage. It could be a thousand things. But what it does, it'll lock up in second gear. It's called limp mode. It allows you to limp home. See, it can okay. still take off in second, and it can get some speed in second. So it chooses second gear. It doesn't know what to do, so it just puts it in second gear, and it won't come out. And if you cycle the key on and off, it may do something until it occurs again. If it occurs again immediately, it's just going to immediately go back into it. If it started doing that after the service, look in there and make sure you didn't bump one of the wires on one of the solenoids. If you knock the wire off one of those solenoids, it'll definitely do that. Other than that, you're going to need to bring it to someone who can do some electrical tests, but that is most of the time going to be an electrical problem outside the transmission. Right. Eight volts will start the engine, but the computer needs 12. Everything is predicated on 12 volts in the computer system. Mm -hmm. So when the voltage gets under 12 volts, it freaks out and it doesn't know what to do. Or if it starts getting a spike in voltage... It freaks out, okay. doesn't know what to do, so it goes into limp mode. So it could be something, so it could be as, something simple as simple as a, right. a weak battery, or it could be something like a bad alternator, or it could be a ground wire that's knocked off, or a bad sensor. Does everything else seem to work, Brandon? Your cruise everything control works, speedometer's working, and all that. Yeah, everything's running fine. Speedometer and everything. Okay, well, probably most of your sensors are okay. I'm suspecting either a system voltage problem, or possibly a ground wire or a solenoid wire pulled off or unplugged. Right. So you can check that first because that would be very, very consistent with the problem you're having. Okay. And I mean, if you can't find it, I mean, you can always bring it in. We can look at it for you, and I can find that for you pretty quick. got a lot more equipment experience doing it. But check around and see. Make sure a wire didn't get unplugged. Maybe a Loose. wire got pinched, you know, when you took the pan off. Maybe a wire got pinched under the pan or something. Any of those types of electrical issues will cause that to lock in second gear. Uh, loose battery cable, too. Yeah, even so loose check battery the, cable Check the it. cable ends at the battery and make sure one of them's not loose. Mm-hmm. Okay. All righty. Appreciate okay. that. Okay, Brad. Right, Good sir. luck to you, man. You have a nice day. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. 
And we're going to the phone lines with Bruce. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. I'm not sure I heard you right, but one of your first callers was about a GM oil filter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And did I hear you right telling him it was a 46? On his truck, yes, sir. And if, was it 99? When it went to the Silverado body style, all the way up to 2007, they used a PF46. On After the, 08, they go to the PF48. On the classic body. On the classic body style, right. yes, sir. Okay. Well, that's what I was wondering because mine, uh, I got an 07. It That'd be a PF48 if it's a new okay. body style. Thank you. All right, Thank sir. you. Bye-bye. We're going to take another quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Morning, and welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special, and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. <laughs> yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. (laughs) Agco Automotive has this to say about low-price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Victory crew, when you make and may punch you with that Hey, welcome back. We just joined us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we're going back to our line with Richard. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Yes, sir. What I've got, I've been down here 20 years, and I've had the, the mice have eaten four of the wiring harnesses on four of my vehicles. Is, is there anything, anything I can do about that? Yeah, Richard, I've actually got an article on my website all about rodent damage. It goes into all the things. Most of the time when you're getting a good deal of rodent damage like that, you've probably got a food source somewhere around the car. So check and make sure if you've got pets or anything, make sure their food bowl is not close to your car or anything like that. Or water source, either one, because that's what they're looking for is food and water. And they're when, just using your vehicles as shelter. That's right. When they chew those wires, Richard, they're not looking for food. They're doing that. They gnaw to sharpen their teeth, and that's oh, what right. they do. They don't even they not they don't care about the taste. They suck their cheeks in. They don't even taste that. They chew constantly because their teeth continue to grow. In fact, the word rodent means rodare, which is to gnaw in Latin. So they have to keep chewing to wear their teeth down. That keeps them sharp. But they're not eating food. You know, they've got food somewhere around. You live in a single-family dwelling, Richard, not an apartment or anything? i got 10 acres out in the middle of the woods. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There's probably some food somewhere around and or some water. Either one is hard to come by in the wild, so they're going to come for that. And then while they're here, they're going to crawl up your car because it's a nice, warm, dark, safe place. And while they're there, they just eat the devil out of your wiring. Now, tax. Eh? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. See, I think a, a rat's teeth grow something like a half inch a year. So if he doesn't continually wear them down, they'll grow through his bottom jaw and kill him. He's oh. got to do it. He has no choice. But as they wear, they wear off razor sharp. And it's a fascinating subject. Actually, I uh, wrote, like I said, a pretty good article on it, and it goes into all thing. I think a rat's teeth, on a scale of hardness, is right up there with cast iron. I mean, it, they can chew through copper with no problem at all. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Make sure there's no food, no water anywhere around the area, which you can also try. I've had a lot of people tell me that 
they'll take some socks, some old socks, put some mothballs in it, and throw them under the car because they don't like that smell. When they smell something strange, they think, hey, this may be a trap, so they kind of stay away. Okay, there's no electronic pest magic. No, pest sir, not anything that I've ever seen. You see, and, right. and I know people who will say you could put diff- hot sauce and all that, but they don't taste anyway. They they don't care about taste. They suck their cheeks in and, and hide that from their mouth. They'll still chew it. Try them mothballs. I don't have any water or food around, so mm-hmm. I'm going to try that. I'll tell you what food. else, go get your old feral cat and let out there. <laughs> oh, I had a cat, had a cat dying in the, in the, underneath the uh, insulation in the mobile home one time, uh-huh. and three months later... A year later, it was still there, so we had to get get rid of that house and get another one. Wow. wow. Yeah. I yeah. don't like cats. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, try the mothballs. That seems to work pretty well. Thank you. All right, Richard. All right, thanks, sir. man. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hire, we'd certainly love to have you. Rats and squirrels and all rodents, uh-huh. the things that gnaw, their tooth is built. It's got a layer of enamel on the outside, which is hard, hard, hard. I mean, right. it's, it's ranked up there with cast iron, just below tool steel. The backside is made of dentin. So as they gnaw, what happens? It wears the backside away. The front side comes down to a knife edge. So they get sharp, 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 and they've got to continue to wear the teeth or else they'll die. So gnawing is their life. Right. And anything that you put on it to try to discourage them, they really don't care about taste. No. Because they have the two front teeth, and then they don't have side teeth like a canine or a human has. They have the rear uh, molars. They have the the front incisors, but they don't have canines and all that. Uh-huh. So they can just suck their two cheeks in, which basically insulates their mouth from whatever they're gnawing. Okay. So they're not going to taste it anyway. Okay. So they can just gnaw right through the nastiest thing. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't bother them at all. Yeah. I tell you what, they can do some damage. Yeah. About Man. the only way to get rid of them is to get some type of smell that they don't like, something uh-huh. that they don't trust. I know there are some companies who have a big, big stake in this. Some of the cable companies and all that, I mean, they lose millions and millions of dollars because of rodent damage. Sure. Squirrels get out and eat the cable. And what they have found, they tried different shielding methods and using different plastics, and nothing really worked. What they finally did is they made the cable large enough. By going to larger diameter cables, the, they can't get their mouth around it. And they gotcha. said that actually worked better than anything else. Of course, you don't have that option on a car. Right. You can't redesign the car. So There are some things you can do. Like you were saying, the mothballs. I believe Honda actually come out with a rodent-repellent electrical tape. Yes, yeah, so a rodent-resistant tape, and it's got little pictures of mice on it. Whenever we fix rodent damage, we always use that tape. And uh-huh. for some reason, Honda's the only one who has it. But And it's pretty expensive. It's like right. $28, $29 a roll. And I think it gives off a smell that they don't like. Correct. It's nothing to do with the taste, because like I said, they can't taste it anyway. But you can wrap the wires. They won't come back to that area. They'll come back to another area. It just runs into another area. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they can really be a big, big, big pest. But that seems to work better than anything else. Just another one of those little annoying things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like get, ain't enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get a vehicle that doesn't move very often. They'll, uh-huh. they'll inhabit that. Yeah, you know, you, like you said, a food source or a water source around the vehicle. They use the vehicle for shelter. Makes it much worse, particularly if you live like in an apartment complex. If you ever park near the dumpster, right, or where people are emptying food, then you're gonna really have a problem with that. If you have a lot of trees around, the squirrels and stuff love the trees because right. they can get up there. And while they're in tree, they're looking for another place to go. And that car is absolutely perfect for them because they can just crawl underneath and they can come right on up. And once they get in, it's dark. It's generally warm. It's well protected. They don't have to worry about predators and stuff. Correct. 
And like I said, while they're there, they're going to sit there and gnaw the devil out of everything around. And we've seen raccoons and possums building nests in in cars that don't move very often. In fact, we had one got towed to the shop the other day. I don't know where it came from, but we opened the hood and had a live possum in it. That's right. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a shocker. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Fortunately, he ran off. We didn't have to confront him there because the possum take care of himself. That's it. That is it. Hey, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would absolutely love to have you. Go ahead and give us a call because I try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And should you happen not to want to call the rest of the show today or think of something after we go off the air, you can always get your questions answered by our website. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get your questions answered that way. That's right. And while you're in there, take a look around. We've got a bunch of articles, series of, I guess there's probably almost 400 of those on there now. And those are called detailed topics. They've got just a great deal of information. Put one on this morning, part of a two-part article, and it's on replacing engines. Uh-huh. And that's one of those things that we see more and more of these days. I know back during the late 90s, early 90s, mid-2000s, we almost didn't see engine problems. No, not People hardly. People would they'd get tired of the car. Sure, and they'd sure. And have to take a gun and shoot it when they got tired of it because it just wouldn't go away. Well, it they were lasted rel- forever. They were relatively easy to keep maintained. They right. weren't real expensive to keep maintained, so mm-hmm. people really took care of them. I right. mean, it didn't take much to take care of them. That's right, and the newer stuff is just much, much more fragile because there's so much more high-tech devices on the car. And with the extended oil changes, we're seeing a lot more engine problems today. We change out probably 10 times as many engines today as we did 10 years ago. Sure. So this article, in case you do run into a problem where you have to decide, am I going to replace the engine in my car or maybe not, it just gives you some stuff to think about and it goes into details. And next week it'll go more into the technical aspects of how to actually do it, where to find an engine, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So something real good. You might want to peruse around and see what you think. We're going back to our phone lines with Roy. Good morning, Roy. How you doing? Doing great, Good morning. Tom. Lewis, I have a 68 Dodge Charger with 383 engine okay. in it, and if I start it every few days, it starts fine, but if it sits for about a week or so, it's starving for gas. Mm-hmm. I have to really pump it to get it yeah. to, to mm-hmm. catch. Mm-hmm. Right, that's almost always going to be a carburetor problem, and almost always it's going to be the accelerator pump in the carburetor. What happens is that the bowl is full of gas, and when you go to start the car, air starts flowing in, so it sucks the gas through the idle ports and it cranks the engine. Well, if it sits for a long enough period of time, let's say that accelerator pump circuit is leaking slightly, the gas will dribble down into the engine and your bowl will be empty. And so it's not going to start. Now, if you crank it, eventually it'll get back up there. But those old cars only had about five pounds of fuel pressure. So it's going to take some cranking before that pump pushes enough up there to fill the bowl so that it'll run. You can kind of confirm that pretty easily. Just next time it sits for a week or so, before you try to start it, just take the air cleaner off. And before you start, just work the accelerator linkage back and forth and see if you see gas spraying down in there. And if you don't see any gas coming out, then that's going to be what your problem is. Okay. So carburetor rebuild. Yes, sir. Or replacement. Or replacement. Yeah. Whichever one you prefer. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. right, Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would certainly love to have you. And we've got James on the line. Good morning, James. Yes, sir. I have a 2005 Nissan 350Z. Okay. And when it sits for any amount of time, I I just get a slight little puddle of oil underneath it. But it's mainly... It's mainly in the winter. When it warms up, I don't get that. Any idea what's causing that? Uh, James, I'm talking about when the weather warms up, not yeah, the Yeah, exactly. You need to start out with what 
color the oil is. If it's engine oil, you know, it's going to be black or dark brown. It's definitely engine oil. Definitely it's engine black. oil. Okay. Yes. If I remember right, those little cars were notorious for valve covers leaking. Most time, valve covers are the leak on them and i'm not sure why it would be worse or better when it's hot or cold do you ever smell any oil burning no sir, when it sits never, idle? never do and when i ride jack like i just changed my oil mm-hmm. and you know in this car it's got this underpan on right. so I, would, yeah, I have to take that off in order to change the oil yes yeah, sir you don't see any oil in there anywhere i see i see the oil is, is it, it looks like it may be coming from the the oil pan gasket it itself, could be but i'm not sure is that something that typically goes out they can yes sir pretty much any seal on a car is subject to going out how many miles do you have on it james 93 i think okay so that's fairly low miles yeah. We do change the pan gaskets on them some. We change the front seals on them some. We change the rear seals on them. And, like, the most common thing, like Brian said, the valve cover gaskets are the most common leak point. And what it does, it runs down the sides of the block, and it drips off around the pan because all will always run down. Right, and right. The, the right. point where you see it dripping is always going to be the lowest point on the engine. So to confirm that, what you need to do is put, like, some fluorescent dye in the engine run it around for about a day and then you can take a black light and get under and you can see exactly where the oil is coming out it'll leave a big yellow okay. trail but many 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 times folks will change the pan gasket or it'll change the rear main seal and it still got the leak because it's actually running down from higher up and it's just dripping off ah, there okay. so okay. it's, it's where, where do you get that dye from you're talking about any parts store you, it'd probably be cheaper for you to bring it to someone have them do it for you because you got to buy uh, the dye you got to buy a black light you got to buy a pair of glasses to see it right, and then you need a lift right. to get under it and see it so most shops are not going to charge you a whole lot to do it it'd probably be cheaper to have someone do it than to buy all the stuff if you want to find i mean you can go to any big parts store and just tell them you're looking for an all leak detection set and it comes with a black light, it comes with a pair of yellow glasses, and it comes with a dye. dye. But the problem is, without a lift or something where you can get up in the air and get under it, it's still real right. hard to tell anything. Yeah, that's my problem. I, I only have jack stands, you know, yeah. so I can't really get up under there and look. That'd be pretty much, difficult you know? to know anything. Yeah, I think you'd be better off. I mean, most shops are going to charge you probably less than an hour labor to do the whole deal, and that's probably less uh, than you could buy the stuff for. Right, right. Okay, well, thank you very much. I okay, James. Information. Yes, All sir, right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number, and we're going back to the line with S.J. Good morning, S.J. Morning, Lou. How y'all doing? Doing great, Good sir. morning. Well, let me ask you something. I got a 2005 Avalon, mm-hmm. and I, when I get in there, I, in the car, I kind of smell this musty smell, something like, you know, like a heater core smell, how, how they used to go out. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. But now... Where would that heater core on that car be located, or does it even have one? Oh, absolutely. It's got yeah, it's one. got one. It's under the dash, uh, on up the inside side. the evaporator case, and uh, on the passenger side, like Brian said. Are you losing any coolant, SJ? Actually, I haven't checked. Yeah, check your coolant. If the coolant level is going down, that's going to be the first sign of the heater core. And sometimes what you'll get is some water on the floor on the passenger side, but not always, because it may just drip out the air conditioning drain and go outside the car. Right. Now, well, that's, that, what I that's a big, 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 big job to fix if it's a heater core. Now, it's not common on that car, but I have changed a few. Yeah, just check your coolant level. If the coolant level is falling, then we probably need to get in and do a pressure test on it and verify because it'll end up messing more things up if it is. All right, another quick question, if you don't mind. Uh, on my uh, transmission, like I'll go around a corner, and maybe a baby is too much, but I can feel it kind of slipping whenever I kind of go to pick up speed a little bit you know i don't drive fast or anything i mm-hmm. just most time, if you're kind of neutraling out slightly on a corner it's going to be a little bit low on fluid and that fluid mm-hmm. sloshing in the pan mm-hmm. that's almost always with so it's probably got a leak somewhere if it's if it's doing that 
you, know, you might try just dump another quart of fluid in it and see if it quits doing it. Even if it overfills it, it's not going to hurt anything. You can always drain it back out later. But just as a diagnostic procedure, you can dump an extra quart in, and if it quits doing it, that's what it is. Well, it was changed at 100,000, so yeah. I, mean, I only have 115 on it. Yeah, but it can have a leak somewhere. Right. It be losing some. Okay. All right, my friend. Thank All right. you. Okay, All right, sir. Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Mike, how are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-price $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strapanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change, and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with our co-pilot, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. we got a pile of listeners here online holding. Let's get to them as quick as we can. we got Kevin online. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, guys. Hey, i got a 1999 F-250. Okay. The obviously, torque converter issue, from what I can understand, anyway. It's almost like a stall speed converter. You get a little hesitation when you accelerate. And you got that little bump, and then you take off. Everything seems to be running fine, other than that. Is that common? I mean, is this no. something that? Uh, no, that that does not sound like a torque converter issue to me. Oh, really? Kevin. No, I, I'd be highly surprised. It's possible, but I'd be highly surprised. Yeah. When you when you say it hesitates, does the RPM come up and the vehicle not move? Very slightly. I mean, you it, it really you really don't notice it. You just notice it on a takeoff. I actually had a transmission shop didn't notice it either until I pointed it out. Uh huh. And it could be that I'm just being particular. Yeah, I mean that could be something real simple. That could be something like a dirty airflow meter will give you hesitation. What you're gonna have to watch is you're gonna have to see if the RPM rise and the vehicle mm-hmm. does not take off. Now right. you got a transmission problem. Right. If RPM do not rise, then you're more into an engine running problem, which will feel exactly the same. I mean, okay. a professional has a hard time telling them apart. But I know the most common thing on those, it's not a diesel, is it? Yeah. yeah okay, it's diesel. Well, yeah. I know, 7.3, you're not going to have an airflow meter, but I'm Isn't still not 100% sure you don't have maybe some kind of a little engine running type issue. If it's in the transmission, I would put a pressure gauge on it and see okay. if the pressure immediately comes up when you shift into gear see a torque converter generally it's going to shudder when it goes to lock up or it's going to come apart and it's going to tear the transmission up but it's not right. generally going to give you a slip and then grab okay that that's just not characteristic now it could be one of the clutches in the transmission doing it i mean that now, would, that could do that now would that would at a higher rate of speed say 70 75 or so a little vibration with that transmission's mm-hmm. done everything it's going to do at 75 miles an hour right. so it's, it's not going to even have any effect on the vehicle at all at that speed okay well then you need to check it out then. yeah <laughs> now see that could be a bad something like a bad u-joint too i mean that'll give you a clunk when you take off and it'll sure vibrate at 75 miles an hour Right, right. Well, I'll check that. That seemed like that would have been the obvious thing, but yeah, uh, I tell you, does it get any better if you let off the off the throttle? 
Uh, the vibration? Yeah, I guess. It, it, yeah. It, you really, it planes out after a yeah, while. Yeah, well, check it, Kevin, if it is worse while you are on the throttle and gets better when you let off. That's characteristic of a U-joint because you're loading okay. and unloading it. Okay. All righty? All right, I appreciate it, guys. Okay, man, thank you. Bye-bye. Going back to our phone lines with Jimmy. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning, guys. Yes, sir. Lewis, my 2007 GMC Yukon, mm-hmm. I'm beginning to experience some musty odor. Every once in a while when I'm driving, a musty odor will come out of the air-conditioned vents and okay. the dashboard. Mm-hmm. And I have noticed lately that the drainage in the back air conditioner, rear air drainage, it do, it's not happening regularly. Not I dripping? Stop, it, no, it's not dripping. I, I stopped for fuel the other day, and mm-hmm. water was gushing out of it. Mm-hmm. But then got down does the smell seem to be coming from the back? And, uh, or does... and I noticed in the garage, and it didn't drip a drop. Yeah, does the smell seem like it's more in the back or in the front? No, it's coming from the front. The smell comes right out of the vents. On the back thing first, that could be something like the drain is partially stopped up. It may have a bunch of dust and stuff. So they don't have a cabin filter on the rear. And it can suck some dust up in there. It can plug the drain. It may drain sometimes. It may not drain sometimes. That would be the most common thing on that. Because Is there it, a way I can clean that drain out? Yes, uh, compressed air, just blow in there, and it, it'll blow it right on out. Right. Uh, Worst-case scenario, I mean, you can take the interior out and get wash it out from the inside. But that would be the most common thing. Now, also, if it's a coolish day, see, the rear has an expansion valve on it, and the front has an orifice tube. So if the rear doesn't need cooling, what it will do is that expansion valve will close, and it just won't cool, so there won't be a lot of water back there. So that may even be normal. See, the compressor runs all the time, and it's one compressor, but it does have an expansion valve in the rear, which can shut the rear off. All right. So it may be that that part is normal. To get to your other problem, the musty smell, what year model is it, Jimmy? 07. 07, so it doesn't have a cabin filter. It could have some dust and debris up in the evaporator core. Sometimes that happens on them, and what will happen is it automatically makes water, and some of it will stick in that dust and stuff, and it'll kind of mildew and it'll start stinking. You get in there and clean that. Kind of difficult. You have to take the blower motor out and get in there and do a thorough cleaning on it. Right. But that's the most common thing. I mean, you're not losing any coolant or anything. like It doesn't seem like a heater core leaking or anything. No. Doesn't appear to be that. Yeah. So I checked under the floor mat and all uh-huh, I'll dry. in the front and uh, have no, no water, no condensation you, under there. I would bet you you got a bunch of dust and debris building up in your evaporator core and it's starting to mildew on you a little bit. That can be clean. It's kind of a pain, but it can be done. I don't know why Jim decided. Well, I do know why, but <laughs> in 2004, they quit putting cabin filters in their vehicles. So now all the dust and debris just gets in the evaporator core. I see. But they cut the maintenance schedule by doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Say, oh, that don't need as much maintenance. No, but it's, now you can't service it. <laughs> right. Saves them money. In That's them. right. Yeah. I understand all that. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to take a look at that. I'm going to see if I can get to that, that blower yeah, motor. Yeah, you'd have to take the blower motor out, and you may be able to even see in there if you look real careful and see if there's a bunch of dust and debris in that heater core, excuse me, in that evaporator core, and there's a special chemical made to clean that. All right. All righty. Thank you very much. Okay, Jim. Y'all have a good, y'all good day. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Oh, man, I tell you, we are just totally out of time. Randy, I'm sorry I couldn't get to you. If you send me an email, I'll get you an answer to your question, or you can call us again next week on the Automotive Hour. That's right. And address is agcoauto.com. That's right. Just go in there, hit the contact button, and send me an email. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. Yeah, I really appreciate written rating. Didn't get any last week. Got a couple of weeks before, and that really made my day. Let's us know how we're doing and kind of moves us up in the ratings as well. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.